Today is about me. I had a point this week where I thought, I need a good sermon. And so I started looking around and I realized that as I started looking for some scriptures that were speaking to what at least I was experiencing, this is what I came up with. And so what you're getting today is you're getting the sermon that I needed. So if this feels a little bit like self-therapy, that's okay. Um, you, can just say, you can just pray for me and just say, hey, Scott needed that if you don't get anything out of this. But I want to share some thoughts that brought me some comfort, brought me some encouragement, and I hope that they do to you as well. The song, It Is Well With My Soul, becomes far more incredibly unbelievable when you know the story behind it. And it's a song that if you've been around church, it's sung in many times in many ways. In fact, now there's even a Hillsong United version of the song. And so it's a very popular song. But what you need to know about the backstory is that it was written by name, a man named Horatio Spafford. And he was a lawyer in Chicago at the same time as the Chicago fire occurred. And so he had a series of tragedies in his life. First, his four-year-old child died. And some of you have experienced that. And that is a heart, heartache and heartbreak beyond what I can even imagine. And then shortly after the death of his child, the Chicago fire comes. And he's, his business or his finances was all invested in real estate. Well, in an instant, his financial world is turned upside down. And so he's dealing with the death of his child, and his financial world is just obliterated out from under him. And so a few years later, as an economic downturn in the nation comes, he sends his family to England. And he's going to go with them, but in a last-minute change, he sends them ahead, and he stays back to wrap up some legal matters that are still pending. And the boat that he put his family on in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean has a collision and sinks. And he's put his wife and his four daughters on this boat. And this is a time when there's not cell phones, there's not instantaneous email back and forth. And so his daughters perish, all four daughters perish in that tragic sinking. And his wife alone survives, and she makes it to London, and she sends a telegram back, the most instantaneous kind of communication you could have had at the time. And it's a heartbreaking telegraph that says, Saved alone. And so now separated by an ocean, she begins her grief, and he begins his grief. So he quickly wraps up his legal matters and jumps on a boat to to join his wife. And he takes the same passage that the previous boat had taken. And so the captain, knowing his story, comes to him and lets him know that we are now near the point where the boat that took the life of his daughter sank. And so he's overcome in that moment, in that moment of processing all that's happened to his life over the last couple of years, in the process of losing his wife and losing his family or not losing his wife, but losing his daughters and going to see his wife and trying to comfort her, he pins these words, It is well with my soul. And he writes this hymn out of that moment. And you got to wonder, where does a faith like that come from? How do you access something like that? Because for many of us, we're in a season that 
that perhaps, depending on how your experience, it may not be that tragic or may be even more tragic, depending on what's happened to you during this, this recent several months. But I found myself earlier this week just going, you know what? I'm tired. I, I'm, I feel like I'm worn out. And the problem is, we're all running a marathon, but nobody's told us how long it's going to be. Have you noticed that? We don't have like a mile marker, like you're halfway there. You know, several years ago, Scott Sela somehow got me into, into running, and I've run a couple of distances. Nothing like the idiotic, insane distances that he runs, okay? God doesn't want you to do that. Okay, just, I'm just telling you. But as I've run these half marathons, one thing I've realized that keeps me going is there's, there's mile markers as you go. And so you really know where you're at. And so as it starts hurting, as it starts getting difficult, you go, okay, well, I'm halfway there. Or I'm three-quarters of the way there. Or then when you kind of break through that 10-mile mark, it's like, oh, okay, three to go. I, I can do this. I can do this. One to go. I can see it up ahead. There doesn't seem to be mile markers with this whole COVID experience that we're in, does there? Is there? Because just when we think it gets better, it seems like it gets worse. Just when we think we're making forward progress, we get new announcements. The, the numbers are going up. The, the hospitalizations are, are increasing. Governor Abbott's um, issuing new decrees. Uh, it, it really is a roller coaster. And the only thing I can in my life, that, that it's close to me that I've experienced anything like it. And some of you probably have far more dramatic things than this that you've experienced. But for me, is when um, about 15 years ago when my twins were in, they were born and they were placed into the, into the NICU. And it seemed like during that experience, in which we actually had a very, comparatively speaking, our experience in the NICU was uh, a cakewalk, okay? But at the time, I didn't know that. At the time, I didn't know it was going to be easy. And we'd walk in one day, and we'd hear, well, here's the things we're worried about today. Oh, no, now we're worried about something. And then we'd turn around. One of the nurses would say, oh, your kids had a great night. Okay, that's good, better. Oh, looks like we're past this. Oh, but now we're worried about this. And it was just like an emotional roller coaster. It was good news followed by bad news, followed by good news, followed by bad news. And nobody could say, hey, three weeks from now, this is all going to be over. Oh, okay. Well, if I'd known that, I could ride out this. But see, we're right in the middle of something that we don't know when it's going to be over. And so I'm not sure where you are with this, but I do know that many of us are struggling with this. Uh, we did a survey of this congregation, and we asked the question, are you comfortable to even come back to campus yet? And while we've got many in this room, we had 65% of this congregation say they're not ready yet. There's still anxiety out there. There's still concern. There's still worry. And so I wanted to speak into that. And again, I'm not preaching at you today. I hope I never come across as preaching at you anyway. But this is really preaching at me. And you get to listen in. And I hope there's some kind of blessing for you. Because I want to know how you can say, it is well with my soul in a time like this. So John 14 we have one of these moments. And this is the verse that God placed on my heart this week and I spent some time wrestling with. Because in John 14, chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says this statement. Now it's a very Jesus kind of thing to say. But in the moment, in the context, it seems very strange. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, I need to hear that these days. Do not let your hearts be troubled. <clears throat> but part of me wants to go, um, Jesus, are you paying attention? Are, are you aware of what's going on? Jesus, do you get the news? Okay, is, is your news feed working? I know, think you're on Facebook, but you may not have seen. He says, do not, let, do not let your hearts be troubled. And what makes this statement striking is really in the context that he says it. He has just experienced the supper with his disciples, those closest to him. And after he experiences the supper, in John, he tells us, John tells us that he washed each of the disciples' feet. And he says, I want you to serve one another this way. I want you to be this kind of person out in the world. <clears throat> and he says, and I give you a new command to love one another. And up to this point, it's all rosy. It's all, it's all very nice. It's doing, th things seem to be going wonderful. But beyond this point, he begins to give them bad news. <clears throat> they're in a good mood. In fact, they're in such a good mood that Luke tells us they start having to debate about who's the greatest, who's closest to Jesus, who's, who's going to be number one in this new, new kingdom. <clears throat> I'm going to pause just for a second. I'm going to need a glass of water. Well, Justin, somebody, will somebody grab me a bottle of water, please? Or I'm, I'm going to come into a coughing fit. Um, they're, just, they're, wrestling with, they're wrestling with who's the best because they're not worried about anything else. And so Jesus starts to let them know some struggles that are they're going to incur. And he lets them know this way. He says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to, to outright betray me. Thank you very much. And when he says that, you know the room had to go quiet. Because they had just been talking about who's the greatest. He says, listen, somebody's going to betray. And then Peter, a leader a leader that's always been confident or at least boisterous in the moment, is proud enough to say, not me. <clears throat> and Jesus looks right at him and says, oh yeah, you're going to deny that you even know me. Now, you can almost hear the wah, wah in the room. I mean, it's just a this. And then he begins to describe what's going to happen over the next several days. <clears throat> and what he describes to them is that their world's going to be turned upside down. That you're going to be out of control of anything. That, that you're not going to be able to use all your resources and all your skills and all your leadership capabilities <clears throat> and all your wisdom to get your hands around this and make it go the way you want it to go. This is going to happen whether you want it to or not. That's how this feels today, doesn't it? This is happening whether we want it to or not. <clears throat> and whether it's the disease, whether it's the virus going around, whether it's the economic fallout of it, maybe you've lost your job in the middle of it, <clears throat> maybe you know somebody that's been severely affected by the virus, maybe it's all the language that's going up, or maybe it has nothing to do with the virus, but has to do with all the, the racial tension going on, <clears throat> excuse me, going on in our country. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> So, one thing after the other, we feel like we're out of control. So, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he's telling this because their hearts were troubled in this moment. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Sometimes I simply say, you believe in God, 
believe in me. And so here I want to give you a first takeaway that's encouraged me. Because when I find myself with anxiety, what's really going on in me <clears throat> is a believe in Jesus versus a believe in me mentality. A believe in Jesus versus believe in me. Because when I start, my anxiety starts going up in the midst of this, what I start feeling like is, <clears throat> I'm not doing enough. If I could do more, if I could make more phone calls out to the congregation, if I could, if I could preach better, if I could get my hands around it more, I could, I, I could turn this around somehow. You see what I'm doing? I'm putting confidence in me. And what happens to my anxiety? It starts going way up and it's not well with my soul. See, the gospel message is never going to be, when we face times like this, is never going to be what you need to do is try harder. And that's the temptation, especially for those of us that are leaders. We just want to try harder. If I bear down more, if I put more grit into it, if I lean into it more, <clears throat> I can try harder. And that'll turn this around. And Jesus knew the disciples were going to be tempted to do that, that they were going to try harder. And that, <clears throat> that's the reason Peter takes off somebody's ear in the garden. Because he's going to try harder. And he says, no, this isn't about trying harder. This is about trusting in me. He goes on, picking up in verse 2. <clears throat> My father's house has many rooms. <clears throat> if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus begins to paint this picture of heaven. He begins to paint this picture that there's something beyond this. He's saying, this will be a struggle. <clears throat> there's going to be a season here, but there's something beyond it. And one thing that I realize is I become way too comfortable in this life. And so, <clears throat> what this whole past season has disrupted for me is not, is not heaven, but all this life that I've fallen in love with here. It's taking me out of my comfort zone. It's taking me out of that which is so familiar. And it's taking all of us out of so many ways. I mean, we're, we're even in discussions now as, as Eric is a teacher on what's school going to look like when we get back to it? What's, what, what are universities going to look like when our kids go off to, to college? <laughs> what's the workplace going to look like? And one that's on mine, what's church need to look like after this? And so there's this season of great ambiguity <clears throat> And what Jesus does is he takes us to the other side of the ambiguity. He takes us to the other side and he says, but there's something that is more real, more tangible than this. There's another side to this. This is a season. Now, I don't know how long of a season, but it's just a season. It's temporary, and he takes us to something that is permanent. And that describes heaven, but you say, okay, that's nice for heaven, Scott, but what does that do for us? Well, the other thing that I never picked up in the scripture until I looked at this was the whole point about my father, or that I have, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going ahead of you. And so here's what I realize this is that in whatever causes me anxiety, whatever causes you anxiety, Jesus has already gone ahead and he's there. See, <clears throat> see I... Too often as I minister, I get wrapped up in this thought that, that, you know, wow, Jesus needs to be in that situation. I need to be the one that brings Jesus in that situation. That is not true. That's too much believing in me. <clears throat> What's going on is that Jesus is already there in that situation. 
Whatever brings me anxiety, he's already gone ahead and he's present in that moment. And he's invited me into it to connect with him, but trusting that he's already there. He's already preparing a way. So even as I try to check in on different people in our congregation, and, I, and sometimes I'm making that phone call, and I know that they're really struggling on the other end, and I'm like, I don't even know what to say at this point. And I'm kind of like out of words of hope at times. I don't even know what to say. And then I realize, no, Jesus is already there. They're already at work in your life, and whoever's life is on the other end of that phone call. Jesus is already present at that job interview that you're going to go to. He's already gone ahead of you to that doctor's appointment. He's already gone ahead of you to the fall and whatever that's going to look like when it comes to school. He's already gone ahead of you to that financial situation that you're in the middle of, that you're going to, or is afraid is coming next. He's already gone ahead. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And I hope that there's some great comfort that you find in that he's ahead of all of this. See, I, I feel like I'm waking up in a new world every day. I feel like it's, it, somebody's changed the channel every time we, you know, I open my eyes. But he's gone ahead, and he's already there, and he's, and he's present. So Jesus goes ahead, whatever causes you anxiety. Verse 5. So the disciples surround. So Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? <clears throat> Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus is telling us who he is. He is with the Father. He and God are one. And therefore, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Because the one question during this whole season is, where is God? Where is God when COVID's going around the world? Where is God when I lost my job? Where is God when <clears throat> my loved one had to go on a ventilator? Where is God in the middle of all of this? And he's present in the person of Jesus. We've always seen him. And so, the more that we understand Jesus, the more that we're going to see and recognize God in the middle of this. So I want to give you this encouragement. This... <clears throat> Lean into activities that reveal Jesus to you. Lean into activities that reveal Jesus to you. This is just incredibly practical. Whatever it is for you that brings a clear picture of Jesus, I want you to spend more time doing that. For many, it's going to be reading Scripture. For some, it's going to be driving your car with that worship song on. For some, it's going to be solitude. Uh, for some, it's going to be uh, times, of, times of reflection. For some, it's going to be receiving encouragement from somebody else. But whatever it is, and that, that's just a brief list. This list can be hundreds of items long as God has wired us all differently. And nobody's right, nobody's wrong. But whatever it is for you that reveals Jesus to you, that gives you a clear picture, makes you more aware, more assured of His presence, I want you to lean into those. I want you to spend extra time doing those. You may think, well, that seems like a guilty pleasure. Be guilty of that pleasure. Okay? Enjoy that because that is a revelation to you and that helps reveal, here's God in the middle of all this. So I really want to encourage you, as you face this anxiety, whatever it is in the midst of it, if we can get to a point, to, or if we're going to get to a point where we say, it is well with my soul, 
It's not because I've tried harder. It's because Jesus has become more real and revealed to me. So I'm going to end with these words. I'm going to jump ahead to Jesus' words here in verse 25. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. And then he says it again, and he wraps it up with this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. My peace I give to you. So what's he saying? He's, he's reminding us that because we're not the ones the, that right here in this room, right here online now, they're hearing this message, we're not the ones that got to see Jesus in the physical flesh with his earthly ministry. But that does not mean we're not abandoned, that, that we've been abandoned. Because when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit. God is now revealed to us in the Holy Spirit, and we have supernatural power to have peace. So it's not a peace that comes from anything that I can conjure up, but it's a peace that comes from a supernatural place. And God's invited us to give this peace. And he says, I don't give as the world gives. And he says, what he wants to remember is, he says, God's the Father that gives good gifts. God's the one that provides good gifts to all. And so even in this mist, he's going to give good gifts. So here's another takeaway for us, is this. Respond to your anxieties by identifying what gifts God has given you. This is take some time and make a list. Make a list of all the things that give you life. And maybe you should focus on the gifts that God has given uniquely to you. What, what has He given to you? What, what relationships has He given to you? What loves and passions has He given to you? What opportunities has He given to you? And this could be something as simple as, as I love to sit out on my back porch and enjoy my morning coffee and watch the hummingbirds. What, whatever that is for you, make that list. Because that is a gift that he's given to you. And here's what you're going to find. As you focus more and more on the gifts that he's given, the love that he's poured out onto you, your anxieties will diminish. Your anxieties cannot exist in the presence of God's overwhelming love. Now, I'm not saying it's going to make all your struggles go away. But Jesus doesn't say that either. He just says he's going to be with you in the midst of them. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to walk away with you. He's walk away from you, and he's not going to fault you. So, make that list. What, what are those things that give you life, that, that fill you up, then you say, that is a gift from God. That is a gift from God. And again, as you lean into God's love for you, the anxieties begin to lose their power. You know, there's real truth in the fact that anything that's brought out into the light is, loses its power. Anything that's brought into the anything that's brought from the darkness, and the anxiety comes from a dark place. Anytime it's brought into the light, it loses its power and begins to wither. That's exactly what God's encouraged us to do here. So as I think about, as I thought about the gifts that God's given us this week, you know, I went through several of mine, my own things that, that I've just been blessed with and with family, with with my kids. Even in the middle of this, even though COVID has totally changed our schedule and our family, I've gotten a chance to spend more time with family 
than I ever dreamed, especially right before my oldest son, Caden, goes off to school. And it's like it's just been baked into us now. And, and, and I'm just so, so grateful for that. And even with all the other craziness going on, that's, that's been a very bright spot. And I think that's, in some ways, a gift from God. And I'm not saying God caused COVID to create that. I'm just saying that in the midst of it, that there is a, a bright spot. One of the other things that I've become aware of, and even though we've been thrown off of our game as far as church and churches and ministers and trying to figure out what do we look like now and how does this work, I've become very much aware of even what this technology is doing for us and the way that God's using it. And, and not because I think it replaces all that we were doing before, but the mission and what God's doing has not stopped. It, it has not even slowed down any. Now, we've experienced it completely differently, and that's been disruptive and in, in, interruptive, but God has kept it going. And so we're, I am now aware of people that are receiving this particular message from around our country and around the world. And I'm so grateful for that. There, there's a bright spot, and that's a gift from God. And I've also become very aware of the need for God's family to come together and pull together in a time, in a time like this. And that just doesn't mean that we all get in the same room. That means that we're looking in on each other. We're checking on each other. We're, we're offering our service to each other. And I've seen that happen again and again and again. There's a gift from God. T- today, at 12.30, because we got a call from our missionary, Martin Gonzalez. Uh, he's been studying with some people. There's going to be two baptisms today here on our campus at 12.30 today. That's a gift from God. That, that The ministry, the mission is not slowing down. And then together, once again, whether we're in the same room or we're united by the blood of Christ throughout this house church, we are the body of Christ together. And that's a gift of God. So I want to encourage you with that. In fact, I want to show you a video. And we're going to end with this because this shows that even though we're in a time of high anxiety, God's still on the throne. He hasn't gone anywhere And in fact, he still continued his mission forward in spite of and in the midst of all that we're facing. And so I want to know, because we are the body, he continues to be the Lord and the Lord that calls us to himself. So if you would, watch this and we'll let this be our our thought. It's as if we've wandered the desert Travelers, without a home, together yet alone in this uncertainty. An uncommon time, unexpected, undefined, binds us, unites us, does not divide us, but reminds us of who we are. A body not a building, unrelenting, unyielding, persevering, revealing the faithfulness of God. Maybe this virus has started a fire inside us, ignited us, inspired us to live louder, love harder, care deeper. Six feet, six miles, or a world apart calling remains the same. 
For we are the body of Christ. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It is well with my soul. Radical statements. Both of them seemingly impossible to make during this time. But that's the opportunity that we have. As we follow the one that went to the cross, experienced death, and went to the grave. And there's nothing that seems more final than the grave. And yet three days later, he walked out victorious. And so our anxieties do not get the last word. Our, our struggles and our challenges, they don't get the loudest voice. That which that seems to oppress us right now is just a season because we are victorious. And I pray that, that brings great encouragement to us. We're going to share in a song that is a victory song. It's the days of Elijah. And it talks about all these calamities that can come, but... There is a victory that's coming because of the one that we follow. And if you need to respond in some way, we're going to put the text message up. And you can text in, let us know your prayer. If you want us to be praying for you, if you want to talk about what it means to put Jesus on in baptism, to where you could say, it is well with my soul. Because that may seem like a strange statement now. And you may be watching this wondering, how can somebody in the midst of all this even begin to say it's well with my soul? We'd love to show you how. It's not because of us because of the one that we follow, because of the one that laid down his life for us, because of Jesus. So you can reach out through a text message, or if you're in the, in the room on campus, if you want to have one of us pray with us, the shepherds would love to pray with you today. They can encourage you in any way. But let this song be our anthem of victory. And then find the song of a couple last words, and we'll close out.
me pray for us. We want to proclaim that it is well. You are victorious. How in the midst of what to you that we would stop this nonsense of try harder and lean into you and seek you out with all the gifts, all the blessings, and all the revelation that you have for us. So, Father, help us to see Jesus clearer this week. Help us to see him amidst the storm. Help us see him amidst all the anxiety and allow that to calm our hearts. Father, I ask this in the name of the one that walked through the storm for us. The name of the one that took on the cross for us. The name of the one that is the good shepherd for us. It's in his name I pray. Amen.